This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. The income you have from your real estate investments is not as um, expensive as the income you have from your job. Also consider that you know there, when you have a good strategy in place and you know what write-offs you can take, you know, now we're writing off our travel, our investment into courses and seminars. We, we can almost always find ways so that there are no tax liabilities. If you have a good tax strategy, there should be no tax liabilities when you're starting off with your rentals. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. What's going on, guys? We have a really cool episode today for all my finance and personal accounting tax nerds out there like myself, trying to figure out best ways to save money, best ways to optimize what you already have. And we really dig into the strategies of why real estate investors pay little to no tax. So our guest today is Mark Perlberg. He's based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we dig into what I would call some of the most commonly asked questions when it comes to real estate investing and tax strategy. We go through things such as 1031 exchanges, how people can set up a plan to leave their jobs and become financially independent. We also go through a step-by-step -step guide of how people can find the right tax person and what they should be doing on a day-to-day -day basis to um, think through 1031 exchanges and different types of moves they're making for personal or creative strategies in real estate. So really, really good episode. I got to ask a lot of selfish questions that I've always wanted to know or going through a 1031 exchange right now, um, I wanted to be very clear on some things. And he also walks through how you can find your team if you're doing a 1031 exchange. Um, so just a lot of good stuff there. We dug into why depreciation is so amazing and why the benefits are so much better than you can get as a regular entrepreneur or being in your W2 job. Uh, just really good stuff. I definitely think I'll be doing a part two with Mark and we'll be doing a uh, live webinar on personal budgeting where he can walk through his strategy and what he sees in most beginner uh, people are trying to figure out their personal finances or budgeting. So really good stuff there. Uh, today's tangible tip is if you hire a virtual assistant, they do not need to be full time. I started out with very small tasks and assigned those to virtual assistants through Upwork and Fiverr and started flexing that muscle of what it would be like to use delegation in life and business. And over time, it became a lot easier to scale these people instead of hiring someone full time and then wondering, how am I going to give them enough stuff to do? And now I'm paying them and I have all this overhead. So I get that question a lot from people that are wondering, how do I start with virtual assistants now that we have three full time virtual assistants doing outbound calling and administrative tasks and follow up and scheduling? 
all stuff that can be done from any computer screen anywhere in the world, really. Uh, but it all started with one task, mainly around podcast stuff and just getting all that teed up and edited, which I didn't know how to do. I didn't really want to do. And then it grew into much more of guest outreach and like all the other things I just mentioned. So that's today's tangible tip of starting small with your virtual assistants with one or two tasks, getting the feel for it, flexing the muscle. And then from there, you can always scale to full time and having someone that's going to be consistent with you and your lifestyle and really reap the benefits of virtual assistants. So that's today's tangible tip. Great episode today with Mark Perlberg discussing tax and personal finance strategies. All right, Mark, what's going on? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, everything's good, man. How about you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Not too bad. You know, it seems like life is starting to re-ramp. Uh, things are opening up again, but we're heading right into the winter again. So we'll see. How, how are things in Charlotte with uh, coronavirus day to day? You know, I think we're slowly and gradually seeing uh, the city open up and the restaurants are becoming a little, a little more active. But, you know, you know, there's there you still you, you know, you know, my gym finally opened. Um, I've lost like 10 pounds. Um, but you still have to wear a mask when you work out. You still know, you know, the world is still dramatically different, but we're gradually seeing things get a little more, uh, a little more enjoyable and we're seeing a little more freedom. Yep. And at the time of this recording, it is September 23rd for anyone listening later. Um, but anyway, Mark, I'm excited to have you on just before we hit record. We're talking about a couple of things that I didn't even know you were involved in as far as helping people achieve financial freedom and looking at the tax and personal finance strategy a little more closely than I think most CPAs or tax professionals look at. So uh, we'll get into all that, but before we do, you mind just giving a quick background of how you got into this realm of tax and real estate specifically and what you do today? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my first exposure to the real estate game was uh, I was a real estate agent in New York City. My plan was to to, to be a social studies teacher in New York City in my past life, actually, while selling real estate and eventually investing in real estate in New York City. But that was during the Great Recession, and there was a hiring freeze for teachers, and the real estate market wasn't so lucrative. But I really was um, really intrigued, and I really saw the value and was very enthusiastic about real estate. Uh, so that eventually led me to go back to school and choose a new field um, where I was uh, going to really capitalize on my greatest strengths. I've always been a numbers guy. So I got my master's in accounting, uh, got my CPA license and, uh, you know, did some, you know, did some work, took some jobs, doing some kind of audit related work, did some advisory and consulting. And, um, you know, I, I discovered uh, tax strategy was something that really was interesting to me and especially because of my enthusiasm in real estate. So I became a certified tax coach, started advising people and started this practice, which is, which is providing uh, tax strategies to real estate investors and business owners. And one of my, pretty much my main mission statement that I help a lot of people out with is how can we navigate this world of finances, banking and taxation to best, how can we best navigate all these systems in a way that will create financial freedom in your life? Got it. Okay. Awesome. So there's a lot of beginner listeners uh, here that are maybe in corporate jobs. Maybe they have done a deal, but they're, let's say under 10 deals. What are the most common beginner questions that you get, or do you think people get stuck on when they're starting this journey of real estate investing and thinking about taxes? I have some specific questions, but I would just love to hear if you have any FAQs or commonly asked questions. 
Yeah, well, I think that a commonly, one of them is should I put my uh, own my real estate in an entity, in an LLC, and what kind of entity? What, um, should it be a C Corp, S Corp? That's a really common question. And then another one I always get is, as you can imagine, is what are the tax implications of my real estate investing? Okay, I'd love to hear your answers to both. Yeah, so uh, as far as an entity, we would, it, from my perspective, strictly talking about tax, if you are owning a rental property, uh, the, creating an entity to own it will not influence your tax liabilities at all. Okay. Um, the only benefit to having an LLC that owns it, and you would always do an LLC over a corporation for many reasons without going down too many rabbit holes. Um, an LLC is more, far more flexible anyways. Uh, if you own it in an LLC, now you are going to shield your personal assets from any liabilities that may incur from that rental activity. So if you can do it, fantastic. Uh, it will not impact your tax liabilities. Now, an S-Corp and a C-Corp are tax elections available for your LLC. You can take an LLC and choose it to be an S-Corp or taxed as a C-Corp corporation. Those things are not necessary for long-term rentals for a variety of reasons that we, that we could talk for hours on. So we're going to keep it simple. If you create an entity that can own your real estate, fantastic. Do nothing from that point. It'll default to just being a flow through entity. It will be taxed the way, the same way as though uh, you just own it personally. Mm -hmm. Second question is, will I be taxed on my rent revenue and how much um, if I am your CPA, you likely will not see any taxes at all from that rental revenue. There are opportunities that actually, even if it's cash flow positive, we can create a tax refund from that rental activity because we have depreciation, which will offset that cash flow. And depreciation is the wear and tear of that rental property. And if we do some proper analysis, in tax elections, that depreciation will make it so that your uh, your cash flowing assets will not be taxed, subject to any tax liabilities. You touched on it, but I'd love to hear how you would explain it. You, you just did a, a, a good high level version of it, but let's say for someone that's just starting out in real estate, they don't know what depreciation is and they don't understand why do I hear all the time that real estate investing has all these tax benefits. I hear it all the time. I see it. I just don't really know what that means. So how would you explain it to a beginner investor of the tax benefits of investing in real estate? And depreciation could be a big part of that, I assume it is. But how would you explain that to a beginner? Yeah, so I think depreciation is one of the most significant ones. There are other things that we can do. Um, but if, to start, let's start on depreciation. And if you really want to learn a little more, I have a webinar just on depreciation. I talk about it for about 45 minutes. Okay. If you search me, Mark Prober CPA on my website or my YouTube channel, I go into some examples on this, but, and so depreciation is to account for the wear and tear of an asset. When you buy an asset, a business asset, it's typically capitalized on your balance sheet. And what that means when we capitalize something, that means we can't write off the full value of it. So it's not an expense. We buy this real estate asset. We can't write off the whole price of this. Let's say, let's, for example, a $500,000 rental property. It's capitalized and it depreciates over time as this- What is capitalized? Just for those that don't know, you're buying a $500,000 asset. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're gonna have a loan and just define capitalized in that, in that equation. 
Right. So when you capitalize, so when you buy something, so when you purchase uh, an investment asset or an asset for your business, it's not an expense right away. The IR, the internal revenue code or our, our accounting standards that we follow, we can't write it off as a full expense because this is not, it's not like you are paying rent. It's not something that just vanishes. You are purchasing something that is going to provide value for you over time. So we are going to write off the expense uh, over time as the value of this will diminish over time. This mm -hmm. is different to, um, let's say that we have to pay, um, um, we have to pay for trash, uh, some sort of trash service to come in and pick up our trash and throw it out. Right away, we see the value of that service right away. So we can write it off, but we are going to see the value of these assets over time. So we capitalize it and we can write off the, over time, um, the, um, uh, that asset uh, in, as we depreciate it, um, as we receive the value over time and it, it diminishes in value over time. Got it. The way I've always understood depreciation, and please tell me if you agree with this or disagree with this, is if you're buying something with a 30-year mortgage, the, the reason that you can typically offset your rental gains in most years is because that asset is depreciated over, what is it, 28 years? 27.5. 27.5. So um, typically the value of that home, there is a depreciation cost. Like it becomes worth less or there are expected expenses that pop up over the span of a 27 and a half year ownership. And for that reason, the government has allowed this quote unquote tax loophole, such as depreciation, to allow people to offset any profits they make because in a typical run-of-the-mill rental property, you're going to have expenses over the life of the loan or the life of the 27 and a half years. And by doing it this way, you don't have to pay tax on most of your gains. And if you don't have a subsequent capital expense that year, a big cost, a big repair, then you don't have to... Um, pay tax on those gains, right? Wrong ballpark. Yeah, that's you know that's a good way of looking at it. But you know you also think about you know there are fifteen. What if you have a fifteen-year mortgage, um, or what if you buy it in cash? Or um, also there uh, another another thing I think about is if you you know as this property you know receives wear and tear, especially if you look at like a brownstone in Brooklyn, it may quadruple in value. Although it'll depreciate on your books, you know, you buy a hundred thousand dollars in 1980, a brownstone in Brooklyn, and it might be worth a couple million dollars, but you're depreciating it and it's losing value and you're writing off the cost of that on your books. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think when I think about the 27.5 year depreciation schedule, I would think that that was designed uh, keeping in mind the life of your typical mortgage. Um, because you are going to be paying for that mortgage. So just in that example, I actually have never thought about it like this. So I'm glad you brought it up conceptually because most of the investors that I talk to were in this 20 to 30 year phase where it's tons of creative strategies, house hacking, burrs, buying wholesales cheap, using private money or hard money. So very few of, I'd say the listeners might be buying properties with cash. So I think a lot of like, even in, in, as I heard your explanation and my thought of saying it, like, I just don't think of buying properties in cash, but how would it work depreciation on, let's say very easy round, simple numbers here. You buy a property for a hundred thousand mm -hmm. in cash. So there is no 30 year mortgage. 
but it's still going to depreciate, I guess, over that 27 and a half year cycle. So is there anything different to know versus the mechanics of buying something with a mortgage versus buying something with cash as far as depreciation goes? Right. So the way that you finance it has no impact on how much gets depreciated. But th so think about this now. If you are, especially if you are taking advantage of an owner-occupied loan and eventually turn it into a rental property where you're only putting 3% down. That's what pretty much everyone in this group starts out doing. Which I love. I love that idea. So you, you, you buy a $200,000 house, you put 3% down, that's $6,000 down. You turn it into a rental. Now you have $6,000, you know, you're borrowing, you know, keeping things simple here. You're borrowing $194,000 of uh that you're borrowing on this property mm -hmm. you are still going to be able to depreciate you know that roughly three percent or six thousand dollars uh per year uh on that property so the the here's the the benefit you know you move it out and you turn it into a rental property now we have uh two hundred thousand dollars of an asset that we are depreciating over time and we're only putting you know 3% down to have that depreciation of the $200,000. You know, there are other metrics that we look at like cash on cash return. Totally. You know, if you're going to buy something in cash, your cash on cash return is not going to be great. And then if you were to do, to create some fancy ratios like depreciation on cash return or something, I mean, the value of the depreciation that you can get on, on these properties um, with an owner occupied loan is fantastic. So just before we move off this, and uh, I think this is, it's, some people might've tuned out, but I think it's so necessary. If you actually care to know how to make the most money or how to find the highest yield or just figure out the best situation for you. So you said the, the 3%, is that because, is just about, is that because over 27 and a half years times three, that should come out to about 100% of the value of your initial purchase price? Or is that something different? Like why 3% over 27 and a half years? Oh, so I, what I was just saying, it'll be a little more than 3%. It'll be like maybe like 3.5%. That's just an estimate of um, if, we if we depreciated over 27.5 years, um, that amount of depreciation per year would be, you know, roughly a mat around that amount of percentage that we would see depreciating uh, each year. So, you know, let's say we have, to, to give you, a, to simplify that answer, we have a depreciable basis of a hundred thousand dollars, right? That buy something for a hundred thousand, right? That's yeah. your basis. You buy something for a hundred thousand. So right, and that we are going to depreciate uh, that over twenty-seven point five years at a at a consistent rate, right? Yeah. So a hundred. I got my sellout right now. Um, All good. One hundred thousand um, divided by twenty-seven point five. You're going to see roughly. Um, $3,636 in depreciation each year. Um, and that's, so that's, a, you know, three points, roughly 3.6% uh, that we will write off in depreciable basis each. So, so basically just to put a button on this, if you make that amount or less in net quote unquote yearly profit, you don't have to pay tax on it because that is the amount that you can write up 3.5% about anything over that you would fall into, I guess, your taxable bracket that you would pay tax on, correct? As right. income? Okay. The amount would be, you pay your marginal tax rate, but you also want to consider, especially because most people listening have, have jobs. Um, you're mm -hmm. not going to pay that payroll tax, which is pretty brutal that 
Um, so you're not going to be paying your Medicare and Social Security taxes on that income. So even if you were to have a tax liability, uh, it will not be, the income you have from your real estate investments is not, not as um, expensive as the income you have from your job. Also consider that you know there when you have a good strategy in place and you know what write-offs you can take. You know now we're writing off our travel, our investment into courses and seminars. We, we can almost always find ways so that there are no tax liabilities. If you have a good tax strategy, there should be no tax liabilities when you're starting off with your rentals. Okay, awesome. So a couple other things that uh, I wanted to dig into with you. Um, the first one is 1031 exchanges. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of information out there, some good, some not. So uh, let's, again, using very simple round numbers, can you define what a 1031 exchange is um, in the shortest terms possible as if you were explaining it to like a five-year-old? Absolutely. Uh, 1031 exchanges are when you have an asset that is a business asset that is generating income, a real estate rental property, and you want to sell it. Well, if you sell it, you will be taxed on the gain. You'll be taxed on the capital gain, which is the profit above what your basis is, what you write as this asset on your books. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, as we were talking about depreciation earlier, that will be recaptured and taxed as well. Um, so you will be taxed on that because you, the IRS says, hey, well, you, you said this lost value, but you're actually making a profit. You're going to have to pay for this. And this isn't. Um, so there are going to be taxed on the gain and you're going to have to pay back some of that depreciation write off. Mm -hmm. it's pretty substantial. Got it. Mm -hmm. So instead of paying those taxes right away, when you sell it for a profit, what you do is you, is what you'd say is pretty much you're treating it as though, and I'm not really selling this for a profit. I'm exchanging this for another business asset. I'm just going to upgrade into a new business asset. So basically what happens is you have 180 days to purchase a replacement business asset, which would be another any form of pretty much any form of real property that's going to be your business asset. It could be a hotel, it could be a mm -hmm, trailer, mm -hmm. it could be mobile home park, be a multi-unit, whatever. Mm -hmm. So if, if that replacement property that you purchase within the 180 day period is of greater equal or greater value than the property that you're selling for a profit, you replace it with this, 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 this new asset. Um, you will not be taxed uh, on that on the sale of that property. So you will defer the the gains and the 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 profits on that transaction. Mm -hmm. um, most people will never pay. They will just exchange, and they will never really uh, pay any taxes on on the sales of these properties with the ten thirty one. Totally. So guys, this is another one of those strategies. Depreciation is the first one that I think about. But a 1031 exchange is another strategy. You hear so often people say real estate investors pay no taxes. This is another perfect example that mm -hmm. uh, in theory, you don't pay any tax on sale if, if you keep rolling your investments into other properties. So you're depreciating the asset once you own it. And then if you want to sell it or upgrade it, if you do want to sell it, instead of doing, let's say, a cash out refinance, which is also a popular strategy, which mm -hmm. is tax free. But if you do a 1031 exchange, meaning you trade up your property to a like property or bigger property, 
you don't have to pay tax on that gain. It can go towards the down payment or the purchase of another property. And then from there, you can just rinse and repeat this cycle. That's how so many people get wealthy in real estate without paying tax, that if you have a W-2 job or you pay all these other taxes for, let's say, a, a regular entrepreneur, you're not going to be making as much on a yearly or net worth basis. So one, uh, not one, but a couple of quick questions on 1031s, just to make it a little bit more uh, simple for people to conceptualize. If we could just run through another scenario of that same $100,000 home that let's mm -hmm. say you purchased in 2015, okay? And now you're selling it in 2020, it's in Charlotte, so it's a hot market, it's where you live. And let's say naturally you've done some fix up, uh, actually, no, let's say no fix up because I don't want to, I don't want to factor that into the, the cost here, but let's say just naturally it's gone from in 2015, a hundred thousand to now in 2020, uh, 150,000. We're going to use very round basic numbers. That'd be an amazing return. That'd be awesome. Let's say you cash flowed maybe, um, a thousand bucks a year. So disregard the cash flow though, but I just want to paint the picture for people that are wondering, all right, I bought something for a hundred. It's now worth 150, five years later. I want to sell it and I want to trade up to a bigger property. So can you just walk through the mechanics or the operation side of what that looks like, how it would work, what size property I can buy for my next one. And mm -hmm. uh, if there's any gotchas in there, but if we could just role play that, I think that would be very helpful for people. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just to piggyback on some of the things you said. So the, the beautiful thing about real estate, is, as you know, we're paying down the equity and we have properties that are growing in value over time and we're not paying taxes on the appreciation and the growth in the value. And there are ways that we can see, take the cash out in the forms of doing the home and equ the equity lines of credit or you know, borrowing from, from the equity of the, the appreciation or the 1031 exchange, right? Where we can find ways to capitalize on this. Uh, not only, not to mention the, the increase in rent revenue, um, mm -hmm. that we can capitalize on the increased values on these properties. Right. 1031 exchange. So to run you through this, so I, I do quite a few with my clients. I just close a really creative and ambitious one. I'm super proud of. Um, but so let's say you have this hundred, you buy it for a hundred thousand dollars. Let's say you don't put any money in to keep it things simple. And yes. he's in a hip part of town. Everybody loves it. Somebody comes around and gives you an offer. You can't refuse $50,000. And it just so happens to be that you really found you found this fantastic deal for like two hundred thousand um, dollars and it's a multi-unit and it'll cash flow and create so much uh it's going to create so much cash flow and, and growth over time it's like a, it's a multi-unit property whatever so this is what you have to do now you so you can sell it to the prospective buyer right but um you have 45 days between the time of the sale to identify the replacement property. It could be multiple properties or it can be, uh, it could actually, you can even replace it with multiple properties, but we're going to keep things simple. Just one quick thing on that though. I just, because again, I want to make it very simple for people. At what point do you have to think about this? Because I don't want someone to sell something and then say, Oh, I want to do a 1031 exchange. If they didn't do the steps leading up to the sale that right. they have to. So uh, first thing before you even right before you even sell a property, you have to find an exchange intermediary. Talk to your accountant. An exchange intermediary is the person who will hold an escrow account that will actually receive the property. So your exchange intermediary, you're actually going to be selling the property to this exchange intermediary, and 
you will that person is going to walk you through all of the paperwork and all the things that you have to do to ex to execute this properly um mm -hmm. and that's exchange intermediary um will receive a property it's going to be as though you're actually going to sell it to him but you're really it's really going to go to the purchaser uh, upon the sale of this property you have so now it's in the that you know is the exchange intermediary has that property you have 45 days now to identify the replacement property um, once upon the time of that, the sale of your property when it's no longer in your ownership. You have 45 days to identify property that is going to be of equal or greater value um, to the property that you're selling. Um, so, you, you know, you make some offers, you, you, you're even allowed to find, uh, you know, you, you can actually, you can exchange it to multiple properties. You actually can pick up to uh, multiple um uh, replacement properties, uh, if you're, you're kind of torn between two, but we're going to keep things simple. We're going to go back to this example. We identify this, this wonderful discounted multi-unit that's $200,000 within and just, just one thing on that. So it has to be just to make clear, it has to be greater than 150,000 because that's, what we're selling this first one for correct. Correct. So you find the $200,000 one. Yep. Right. So this, this passes, um, this is going to, pass the test for making sure that we are going to defer all of our, our taxes on the transaction because it is of, of greater value. Um, so now we have 180 days from the time of the sale uh, to close on the transaction by which we will purchase the next property. And pretty much we'll see is that exchange intermediary again is someone that will work closely with you and will walk you through the process and your CPA will likely help you out as well and give you some assurance that you will not see any tax liabilities and that we're doing things properly. Mm -hmm. um, and that escrow account that that exchange intermediary has, you don't need to know exactly what he's doing, but he will walk you through exchanging his property for that property and making making everything all work out so that at the end of the day you are selling your property to the prospective buyer of your property and you are purchasing the replacement property and there are no tax uh there are no taxes on the prop the fifty thousand dollars of profit that we've mm -hmm. done this property and just to recap it who were the players that you need involved from start to finish doing this? You mentioned a couple people that you want to have on your team. And if you could just maybe say who they are and then how you recommend people find them. Okay. So for the exchange intermediary, I have a fantastic resource. His name is David Foster. Um, he can, you can contact me if you want his contact info or you can find him on bigger pockets or just search Dave Foster. You'll find, him. and he will walk you through it and he can do, it doesn't matter what state you're in. He's done, uh, he's helped me out with exchanges in, um, all across the Southeast and in New York, he's, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, so you need, so you contact him and he'll walk you through that process. It's great if you have a tax advisor, because sometimes now without getting too into the weeds, sometimes the 1031 exchange is not the best idea based on your overall circumstances. So you need a tax advisor who can advise you on the 1031 exchange. Uh, just to, on, just to give you, just let them know what you're thinking about, because there might be some other things that, that you would want to consider. Mm -hmm. You obviously you're going to need an age, a broker or an agent who can help you out with selling the property, who is competent 
and will work and coordinate with the exchange intermediary. Uh, so likely if you have someone who works with investors, uh, that would be fantastic or just someone who you can really rely on and who will keep that open communication with the intermediary to make sure that everything rolls smoothly. Got it. Okay. That was an awesome uh, explanation there. Uh, we're getting a little tight on time here, Mark. I want to be conscious of that. I just had one last topic that I wanted to get your kind of blurb opinion on. We might need to do a deeper dive, maybe have you on uh, one of our Thursday night webinars and do a, a screen share walkthrough. But uh, the topic of personal finance and personal budgeting, um, do you have any recommendations for people that are looking to get started with personal budgeting or personal finance? They go on YouTube, they're reading, they listen to some webinars. They, they're so confused. They don't know what apps they need. They're not good with spreadsheets, but they want to learn and they're trying to get a handle on their spending habits to either start budgeting or to start saving for the property that they want to buy. For the 101 crash course listener, what do you recommend that they need to get started with personal budgeting and getting a handle on their finances? Well, I love it. Take that big sip, man. <laughs> no, I thought you were going to ask me about the Joe Biden tax plan because everybody's been asking me. I'm kind of relieved. I'm not no, talking about uh, these. They're, <laughs> this is below that. They're they're trying to figure out how do I get my myself right first. So okay, great. Biden so, will be part two. You know, there's some subjectivity on and on. You want to think about what's best for you, right? Um, so there are multiple ways to skin a cat, but here's what you know here's some ideas for you is just develop a routine of at least weekly going through your bank account statements and transactions. First, we'll, we'll identify fraudulent transactions. Maybe you had a membership to something that you don't even need. So just being monitor, monitoring it manually, right? I think that's a great way to start. Obviously, we hate credit card debt. If you could pay down that credit card debt and monitor how much interest and maybe call your credit card companies, you can maybe negotiate or freeze the credit card interest. Um, there are all sorts of ways and, you know, identifying what you don't need. You're going to hear all these gurus say, you know, cut out on this. You don't need that. And all sorts of ways to, to find things at a discount. I love cooking. We could go all uh, on and on, on, on minutias here, buying things in bulk. Um, but here's something that, uh, but here's something that I'm sure that you're a fan of and you've talked about. I think the best, if you really want to see immediate impact, one of the most powerful things you can do is eliminate your housing expenses. If you're mm -hmm. serious about this, right? Creating that financial freedom, find a way to reduce or eliminate your housing costs because that is going to see such dramatic and significant impact. And that you go a year without your housing, that'll probably uh, fund your first down payment on a property. Now let's get, I want to, I'm going to go a little deeper into this because I, I know a lot of you folks and even me when I was first advised this, I was like, I was too proud. I was too cool. I'm a, I was a bachelor. How am I going to have dates if I have roommates? I was going to give you some, some perspective here, right? Think about what a med school student goes through to become a doctor. They, like, they are grinding. They're gulping down coffee until three in the morning and compromising health. They have no life. They, you know, they, then they become residents and they're only making like next to nothing. They have hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to become med students and doctors. They don't even know if they're gonna enjoy being doctors. And you're too proud to share a kitchen for a year to make this, to reach your goals <laughs> and create that financial freedom. I mean, it's, it's a compromise. I think if you, you should really, you know, find a way, maybe get creative. 
I signed a master lease on a two unit building. I live on the top. I rent the bottom. I live cat. I live for free. I rent out an Airbnb for a markup. So if we can eliminate our housing, I mean, there's a million other ways we can look at this. We can bargain down our car insurance, but that's the most powerful thing. Love that. Okay. We definitely need a part two. We can dig into master leases and, and all that. But yeah, I mean, for, for most people listening, I beat this drum to death. I, I think any, at any age, it's a good idea, but if you're 20 to 30 and you don't have kids and you don't have maybe a dog or a wife, if you're single, you have no excuse. Like people say they want financial freedom. I say, then you should house hack for the next 10 years. And then they say, eh, I don't want roommates. So this is the, this is a small sacrifice. This isn't waking up at five in the morning and doing manual labor. This is a very small sacrifice that will change your entire trajectory of financial freedom and financial independence. When you can offset your cost of living and maybe make money and then have a gateway to make money after you leave that property for very, very low investment, just a no brainer. I mean, I, I, I think it's just most people don't know the option exists and you probably hear it time and time again when people are thinking about buying a home. It's just we're trained by society to put 20 or 25% down single family home. It's just the way to do it and get into all this debt and then have this big monthly mortgage payment. I mean, it, hearing people's logic about how they pick the house that they do to buy. It's the funniest thing when you think about like financial understanding and financial strategy, they, they, they go to the bank and say, what's the most I can buy? What's the biggest house I can buy based on my financials? That's probably, in my opinion, the worst thing you can do if you're 20 to 30 and you're actually concerned with financial independence, because now you're just digging this hole that you have this huge overhead every month. So your strategy on that polar opposite, which I completely agree with, and I could tell you've been doing this long enough because one, you've kind of mastered it yourself, but also you've probably seen so many people come through and not get it right. So just uh, for the sake of time, Mark, I want to get uh, you out of here, but I, I want you to uh, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can learn about your content. And uh, I have a feeling we're going to be doing a part two, but what's the best way for people to connect with you? Yeah, I would love a part two. And I just want to say I 1,000 million percent agree with everything that you just said. Even if you have PMI insurance because you're under 20% down, just crunch the, crunch the numbers out and you'll probably still work out on ahead. Um, so you can find me um, on search Mark Probert CPA. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Mark Probert CPA and LinkedIn. My website is uh, markprobertcpa.com. I have a YouTube page where I post all my educational webinars, including the one on depreciation and another one on how to quit your job uh, strategies and incentive tax strategies and incentives to quit your job for real estate investing. Follow my YouTube channel. You're going to get some great stuff there and inspiration. Um, and also email me. Put me if, I'm, if you're on my email list, mark at markprobergcpa.com. Uh, if you email me, I'll put you on my newsletter and keep you in the know of any updates in the tax code, future webinars. All my webinars are live. Mm -hmm. So you can ask me questions and put me to the test. They're all live and you can ask me questions and then I record them and put them on YouTube. Awesome. Love that. Okay. I can't wait to check it out. I got to see your YouTube page and uh, get on your mailer list, but awesome. Mark, there is uh, there's a lot here, man. I know we just scratched the surface. We could go on for mm -hmm. hours, especially because I didn't start out this way, but as I've dug into this world, I've just become so much more of a, of a, of a I'd say a wannabe nerd. Like I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to get deeper in it. My brother's an accountant actually. So um, I'm, I, I just feel like it's so important. And um, I wish I had gotten exposed to it earlier, but people like you are helping 
uh, all sorts of people get exposed and figure out how they can live a more financially able life. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and thank you for what you do. Hey, John, thanks a lot. Pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me. And, and one of my missions is to change the way that people look at taxes, uh, to see it as a, a way of, to incentivize uh, people to be entrepreneurial and to invest and beautify real estate. Um, so I'm glad that I can help you out and you've seen the value of when you understand the tax code is not a scary thing. And thanks for having me. Uh, you know, really enjoy this discussion. Always happy to talk about this stuff. All right. Great, Mark. Well, I'm sure we'll be in touch. All the best in 2020 and beyond. See ya. Same to you. Take care. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan.